you've got your Bible, I want you to take it and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. See if you can find Luke chapter 15. We're in a series, we're talking about the kingdom of God. But for three weeks, starting two weeks ago, we shifted gears and we're talking about the God of the kingdom. And getting to know him as a father. And uh, what's he like? And we're going to look at a parable today. And the purpose of this parable is to show people, just simply show people what God is like. Here's what the father is like. And in this parable, you're going to see that the problem is, and the, and the Bible is God revealing things to us. You're going to see the problem was that the preachers didn't know what God was like and the sinners didn't know what God was like. Nobody knew what he was like in this place. The religious people didn't know what he was like. They completely misjudged him. Sinners completely misjudged him. And all of them were shocked when he showed up and said, we, we didn't think you were like this. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be a sight to worship somebody all your life? And then all of a sudden them show up and you go, I had no idea you were like this. Well, listen, what, what's the purpose of the Bible? To show us what he's like. And for the Spirit of God to take the Bible and show us what he's like. I love this passage. It's one of the most wonderful, shocking. If this passage is true, we need to do some course correction in our thinking. That's what we're here for, is to let it change us like that. So in this great passage, you're going to read from Scripture. <clears throat> but before we read it, you've got to find out why it's being told. Let's look at the context. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. When I first read that years ago, I just said, you've got to be kidding. That's one of the most shocking verses in the Bible, isn't it? Now, you understand, our culture messes this up. We don't understand this. In our culture, you got, all right, let me help you. In our culture, you got sinners. You talk about them at lunch. <laughs> By sinners, I mean bad people. You know, we've all got our definitions of bad people. I'd a sinner's a bad person. But in our culture, we have something even lower than a sinner. What would you say is the absolute? I mean, what is the evilest of the evil? That would be, I'm going to say child molester. Okay, so you, so you got bad people and then below bad people, you got child molester. Got it? All right, in that culture, they had the same thing. Theirs were sinners, bad people, tax collectors. Now, don't think IRS although I'm having a little feud with them right now. God bless them. Theirs was different. A tax collector was the most despicable, evil, dirty human being on earth. He'd sold out his own brethren and was stealing money from them. And it, you, listen, people spit on tax collectors. They were the most despised people in the culture, all right? So you got two kinds of people. You got bad people and you got tax collectors. And did the Bible say all, all the bad people, all the sinners, where are they all at? They are magnetized to God. Now, obviously, they're sitting in a restaurant or a, an open-air cafe or at a table or under a tree eating, but they're eating together. You're going to see in the next verse, they're eating together. All right, you've got God, who Jesus is God, and the most evil people in the culture are magnetized to this man. And what does it mean, draw near? They're elbowing each other to see who can get the closest to God. This just shocked me. I thought, in our culture, bad people stay away from God. Only us good people. Right? So in this culture, you, you got a situation. you got God walking on the earth, Jesus Christ, and evil people are drawn to this man and can't get away from him. 
Isn't that strange? You think God's changed from then to now? Let me tell you something. If the God of this Bible walked on the earth today, the most evil people would still run to him. People are magnetized to God. You say, well, I went to church and it sucked. I didn't say church. I said God. And this is amazing to me that people are so attracted. The, the worst people in the culture are attracted to God. And they're, they just, they're drawn to him and he's eating with them. All right, so you got the setting? Through this whole thing, remember, we're either in a restaurant, we're in an open air, but somewhere God is eating with bad people and they're eating together. All right, verse two. And the Pharisees and scribes, those are, men, those are preachers, ministers, just preachers. Preachers complain. You say, how do you know they're preachers? What are they doing? They're complaining. <laughs> and they're, what are they complaining about? This man receives sinners. The word receives is the word welcomes. He welcomes sinners and he does what? He's enjoying them. This man's enjoying sinners. Now you got to remember at this time in his life, Jesus was God Almighty stepped down to the earth. But the preachers of that day and religion of that day, they weren't sure about him. Because you remember, if you read a little earlier, they said some said he's a God, some said he's a deceiver. They're watching this guy. And as one of their leaders said, He's got to have something to do with God. I mean, how can you raise the dead and open blind eyes if you ain't got something to do with God? But most of them didn't believe in him and didn't like him because he was not very religious. Doesn't it sound crazy that God wasn't religious? But he wasn't. He didn't go with their rules. He didn't cooperate. He, he broke their rules on purpose. He was different. And so they're trying to figure this guy out. They're watching Jesus, who's supposed to be the creator of the universe. They're watching him. And all of a sudden, they see him sitting here with the most evil people. And listen, he's not preaching to them. He's eating with them, and he seems to be enjoying it. And the Bible, the preachers are mad. They're complaining, saying, he looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's enjoying this with these evil people. And they're just stunned. They just, I mean, it'd be like me driving up and seeing you going in the door at Hooters. We got two restaurants side by side right across the highway here. You got Hooters and its parking lot backs up to uh, Chick-fil-A. Everybody knows the good people go in Chick-fil-A. And the sinners go in Hooters. This is like, like the Pharisee bus went by and saw Jesus' donkey parked in front of Hooters. I don't know any other way to say it. And they're mad now. I don't know any other way to say it. Watch this now. Verse 3. So... He spoke this parable to them. Why is he telling this parable? Because religious people cannot understand why God enjoys bad people so much. Why is, why is this parable being told? Because people are shocked at what God is like. They see God sitting with evil people and enjoying them, and they're, they're bothered by it. So he says, let me explain this to you. So he's going to tell two short parables and one little longer parable. What's the purpose of these parables? to get people to understand what God is really like because they didn't understand why he's sitting with these evil people. They're just shocked. And of course, this is the great revelation of God in the Bible. Now, I want you to remember something. All through reading this, remember, he's telling this because religious people are wrapped around the axles at what God is acting like. So that's why he's telling. All right, number one, verse eight, verse, excuse me, verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, he didn't leave the 99 in the wilderness, Go after the one that's lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
comes home, gathers together his friends and neighbors, said, rejoice with me, be excited with me. I found my sheep, which is lost. What's that got to do with Jesus eating with a bunch of sinners? All right, you got a parable of a man who loses a sheep and it's not that he goes after it. What's the parable about? How excited he is when he finds it. You got it? How excited he is. Well, what's he really talking about here? Let's read the verse. Verse seven, I say to you, likewise, there's more joy in heaven. Tell me what's going on in heaven right now. Are people being reverent in heaven? What does it say right there? There's more what? Friend, heaven is a place of pure joy. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. What's the simple, right? It's so, it's so simple we miss it. What's, what's the message? God is so excited about people. God is just excited about people. That's it. This man, sheep are valuable to him. He loses one. He goes and finds it till he gets it. And all of a sudden he is so excited because that sheep was valuable to him. And he says, let's, let's y'all come. I'm so excited. I want y'all to come be excited with me. What's the parable? What's the message? You're mad at sinners. God's excited about them. God's excited about people. All right. Number two, very simple. He said, let me tell you another way. Verse eight, what woman having 10 coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, Search carefully until she finds it. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you and me. If I lose a quarter, I'm not even going to bother to pick it up these days if it's under something. Times are too good right now. We're not talking about a quarter or a half dollar. This is her diamond wedding ring. It's her engagement ring. The Greek word is drachma. When a woman got married, she got this special coin and she wore it around her neck. It's the way a woman would wear a diamond ring or a wedding ring today. So let's, let's read it this way. If a woman in a house is cleaning and she looks down and realizes she has lost her diamond engagement ring in her wedding band, she will turn that house upside down to find it. Why? Why don't you just get his credit card and go get you an oven? I mean, it's expensive, but it's not just the money. What is it? There, there's an attachment to that thing. How many of you girls, your wedding band diamond rings is important to you? He said, that, that's why you would turn the house upside down. It's not just the money. That thing's valuable to you. All right. He said, what, what is a wedding ring got to do with God? Well, read the verse. Read verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there's more what? Joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's the obvious message? People are valuable to God. People are valuable to God. And he, he, he's going to turn the place upside down to find people. He's just after people. And what, what's the contrast here? What is the obvious contrast? These evil people that God is eating with were not very valuable to the preachers and to religious people, but they're valuable to God. So valuable that he turned the place upside down to get them. And then he tells the great parable that we're familiar with. Verse 11, a man had two employees. Is that what it says? No, had sons. The younger said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. He divided them. I want my inheritance now. Not many days after verse 13, the younger son got all his stuff together, went to a far country, wasted the money with prodigal living. You know what prodigal living is? That's where we get the term prodigal son. You know what prodigal living is? We can look it up later. He took all that money and he, he bought prostitutes. So he goes to a hotel somewhere in some big city and he buys prostitutes with his daddy's money. And I'm sure he, you know, he, you know, cocaine, booze, whatever. But he's buying prostitutes. How many know you can burn through a lot of cash real quick like that? So that's what he did with his daddy's money. Verse 14, he spent all there arose a severe famine in that land. All right, so all of a sudden, like what we're going through right now, they're in a recession, severe recession. And he's burned up all this cash on these uh, girls. 
and he's in trouble. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, sent him into his fields to feed swine. He, he goes and gets a job with a farmer. Farmer says, I need somebody to feed the pigs. So he says, okay, I'll feed the pigs. So he's out feeding pigs now. And he would gladly, verse 16, have eaten the carob pods, the cheap pig food that the pigs ate. Nobody gave him anything. So now he's so hungry, he wants to eat the pig food. Now, there's a great lesson in that too there. Aren't you got it? He, he, he just, this boy, I can do better apart from the father. My, if I could just get away from my old man, my life would be better. So he takes dad's money and he goes and uh, he's got this thing all figured out. What's the problem with having it all figured out? It don't always come out like you figured it out. Let me tell you a verse in the Bible. Think about this right here. There is a way that looks good to a man, but the end result is destruction. Can anybody bear witness that it can look good going in and on the backside you go, I hadn't planned on this. There's the whole message right there. All right, so this, I may have it, let's say it, let's all say it together. Bad boy. Bad boy. Bad boy. Bad boy. All righty. <clears throat> So he's got to do something. He's going to starve. Verse 17, he comes to himself and said, how many of my father's hired servants? They're throwing food away. They got bread to spare. I'm out here dying with hunger. So we know now his father's big time. We know this is a big farm because he's got his sons. We don't know how many he's got. He may have more than two. He's got his sons. Now he's got, we know that he's got a hired crew working for him. So it's a big farm. And he says, they're throwing food away and I'm about to die. Verse 18, I'll arise and go to the father, my father. I'm going to say to him, I, I was wrong. I sinned against heaven. I, I did you wrong. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Make me like one of your hired servants. All right. Now you look in there. Do you think this boy expected to be taken back like a son? What, what he thought was in his mind. What do you think? I, I've done too bad. My days of being his son are over. But what's the only thing he's hoping for? He's got to hire somebody. He's got to have help on the farm. Maybe he'll hire me and at least I can keep from starving. Got it? So he's going, why is he going home? Because he's hungry. And, and his life's run out. And he's in a mess. And he doesn't expect to be treated like a son. He, he just wants a job. <clears throat> All right, he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. One of the most stunning verses in the Bible. That he sees him, he sees him at a distance, and the Bible said he, what's the first thing in his heart? What's, what happened? All right, listen, I, I know a lot of, gee, obviously Jesus is, now remember, so he told this parable. Who's he actually telling this parable to? Preachers. He's telling it to them. And here's the message you look down your nose at these people, you see how bad they are, you see their great sins. And then he tells this story of an evil person that comes to the father. And uh, what's, the Bible, what's the first thing the Bible tells us? You know, he, listen, even I know a lot of fathers, if their boys had done this, they might, they might uh, give them a job, but they would not be happy. All right, listen to this. The Bible said he felt something. I mean, I know feelings are important. I, don't, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm, I often tell people, quit feeling yourself and let's go. But he looked at him. What did he feel? This is, this is the greatest, maybe one of the greatest lessons in the Bible. He looked at this boy who had done everything wrong. By the way, these were Jews. It's a Jewish culture. Doesn't mean anything to you and me. But Jesus purposely crafted this story 
so that this boy did everything you can do to stab a Jewish father in the heart. I mean, you just couldn't do no worse. What's the worst thing you do to a Jewish father? Walk off from him. Number two, take his money and throw it away. What's one thing a Jew will never touch? Orthodox Jew, never touch a pig. Uh, this, this story is painted, you can't do no worse to a father than this boy did. Jesus purposely painted the story like this. He begins to come home and before he ever says, I'm sorry, what's the father say? He looks at him and when he looks at him, what does he feel? Compassion. All right, you got to know, you know what compassion is? You got to learn, one of the most important things you can do is learn the difference between love and compassion. They are not the same. Love is not compassion. Uh, let's, let's learn this. You need to learn this for the rest of your life, the difference between love and compassion. Uh, let me tell you what love is. Let me tell you what love is not. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Uh, when I marry couples, uh, I'll ask them why you get married. They finally figure out it's because we love each other, which is why you get married. And I'll say, great, you're going to make the second biggest decision in your life based on love. Is that right? And they'll say, yes, sir. And I'll say, tell me what love is. At the things I hear when they start, it sounds like something between the flu and upside down. But oftentimes in that realm, it comes down to one thing. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. And then I just ask them, well, what are you going to do when the feeling changes? Is anybody here can bear witness that when you're standing at that altar, sugar wouldn't melt in nobody's mouth. But there's going to come a day you could pinch their head off and throw it in the bushes. In other words, feelings change. Can, would you agree with me? You're not going to keep these, love cherishes a word. You're not going to keep that all the time. There's going to be days you could stab them. And then there's going to be days when you like them again. Then there's going to be days when you feel good. And then there's going to be days when you could stomp the life out of them. I've been reading my wife's diary. (laughs) Here's my point. We get married. I say, listen, love has nothing to do with the feeling. It may have started with affection. You may have been drawn by infatuation. You may have been brought together by attraction. That is not love. Love is this. Better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness, health, I will be here. Love is a commitment. Good, bad, ugly, I will be here. That's love. That's the definition of love. God is love. And he's committed, I don't care what. Committed, that's a commitment. That's what love is. I want want to drill this into you because you've got to learn the difference between love and compassion. Love is a decision. Uh, when young couples get married, before they get married, when I'm counseling, I, I like them to watch a little 12-minute video. And it's a, about a couple that were members of a guy named John Piper, a member of his church. <clears throat> and they loved each other. They were great kids. They were engaged to be married. They dated for a couple years. Their wedding day was 90 days away. And the young man had an accident. He was in a car wreck. And the car wreck left him disabled. It crippled him. Uh, he, had, he had trouble using his arms. It affected his mind. He, he, um, he had the mentality of like a 10 or 11 year old. Got it? And it affected his speech. He, could, he, he had trouble talking. But that's the condition that car wreck left him in. Affected him physically, couldn't work. 
slowed his mind down. He could still communicate and, and feel love, and, but he was about at a 10-year-old level. He couldn't talk well. 90 days before he was supposed to get married, of course, he rehabbed in the hospital for months. Her, his family goes to the girl and says, look, we understand under these circumstances, you know, we know wedding's off, and thank you for being here with him. You've been good to him. Thank you for that. She said, wait a minute. She said, I made a commitment. She said, I told him I'd marry him for better or worse, rich or poor. She said, we're going to get married. And she said, I'm going to love him and look after him for the rest of my life. And they got married. And it's got a little clip of the wedding in there. John Piper did the wedding. It's an outdoor wedding. He's in a wheelchair. And John said, do you, do you, do you Robin, do you take so-and-so to be your wedding? I take you. He, he had enough cognizant ability to know he wanted to get married and he loved her. And they got married and he, she goes to work. He stays home. Somebody looks after him and, and they're going to live happily ever after. Let me tell you what that is. That's love. It is a commitment. God is love. But that is not compassion. Compassion is different. The Bible didn't say when this father looked at him, he felt love. It said he felt compassion. You know what compassion is? Compassion is a feeling. It's a feeling right here. It's the Greek word spelankio, and it means to feel tender right here. That same word spelankio is translated two ways in the Bible. It's translated compassion or tender heart. Yes, be kind to one another, tender hearted, spelankio. It is a feeling of, of, of sympathy, tenderness right here. You feel it right here. And uh, the Bible said the father looked at him and he felt compassion. All right, over and over in the scriptures, if you read the gospels, the Bible's talked about Jesus feeling compassion. Now, Jesus loved people because he is love, but he felt something toward them. And the Bible said over and over that Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion toward them. He felt something tender right here toward them. There was a sympathy and a tenderness. Uh, for instance, the, a leper came up to Jesus one day and he said, if you were willing, you could make me clean. I know you can do it. I just don't know if you want to. And the Bible said Jesus looked at him and felt compassion and said to him, I am willing to be clean. So he felt compassion. All right. What does the Bible say the father did? Here's a son. He has done everything you can do to hurt this father. I mean, Jesus painted the story so that you cannot do any worse than he did. He sees him for the first time. The boy has not apologized. He hasn't said a word. What's in the father's heart toward him? Tenderness. Compassion. What's the obvious message of the parable here? Religious people are angry with sinners. They're, uh, they, they have contempt for them. When God looks at the most sinful person on the planet, his heart is tender toward them. He feels compassion toward them. And this is where the great myths between religion and the Father come to play in there. And uh, they, they just didn't know what to run here. I'm, I'm sorry, I got on that too long. Let's go back. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great wife, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now remember... He's doing all this. The boy ain't said, I'm sorry yet. He ain't said a word. The son said to him, now he's going to say it. I've sinned. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servant, he's sort of rude, wasn't he? Cut him off right in the middle of his confession. Isn't it funny how you just, he got the words out, I'm sinned, and he just cut him off, said, bring him. He told the servant, go get, did he tell him to go get clothes for him? 
Read it again. Go get the best suit I have. Bring it to him and put it on him. And bring him, give him the credit card back. That ring was not for decoration. That was the family signet ring. And you could go in any store in that town and take that ring and buy something, take that and stamp it, and it would be charged to your father. How many of you give a credit card to a boy that handled your money like this? This is one of the craziest parables in the Bible. He said, give him the signet ring, the purchasing ring back, put shoes on him. And then he said this. He said, uh, verse 23, go, go get the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and be merry. He was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's found. They began to be merry. He said, hey, not, not only they said, now listen. He said, I, I want you to invite all my friends. We're going to have a celebration. Uh, now coming up, who, who was bothered because the son came home? How about the fatted calf? He didn't like it much either when he showed up. He said, he said just, and he, listen, he said, uh, call, get a, hire a band. He said, where do you see that in there? You're going to see dancing in here in a minute. He said, let's just, he said, I am so excited. Let's just celebrate, invite anybody that wants to come. We should, this is, this should be church worship service. So just bring everybody. Let's celebrate big. Everything's going good. It is wonderful. All right. Now remember, Jesus is telling this because people do not understand why God is sitting with sinners. That's why he's telling it. A little bit more here to go and then we're done. Uh, verse 25, the older son was in the field working. He came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. I told you he had dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him, said, what's going on in the middle of the day? He said, your brother came home and he received him safe and sound and the father's killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, he said, praise the Lord. I've been praying for him. I've been hoping he'd be back. You know how much we missed him. Jesus is going off on preachers here, isn't he? And religious people. He was angry. What's he mad about? I've never understood what people are mad about. He wouldn't go in. So the father came out and pleaded with him. All right, here we go. Verse 29. He said, all these years I've been serving you. You ever notice how religious people love to remind you what they did for you? I never broke a commandment at any time. Can I ask you a question? Is he telling the truth? I never have broken God's command one time. Is he not standing there breaking the greatest command of all right now? You shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Religious people are funny, aren't they? And you never gave me a goat. Now we know what he's mad about. No goat mad. <laughs> Verse 30. As soon as the son of yours comes, he spent your money on harlots. How do you know that? I don't know. Religious people just have a way of knowing what you've been doing bad. You killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31, the father said, son, you're always with me. All I have is yours. How would you like for everything that God has to be yours and you not be able to get hold of any of it? Is that not what happened to him? Well, verse 32 is the great verse. It, is, it was right. All right. Let's just pause right here. How many of you know what's right? Y'all know what's right. How many of you ever said that ain't right? We all know what's right is, don't we? It's, you know, we've all got this thing about, I know what's fair. The word right here means fair. He said, this ain't fair. All right, what's not fair? I work for you. I serve you. I obey you. I don't get nothing. Doodlebug here goes off and wastes your money on hookers. You give him the best stuff you got. I want to make an announcement. That is not right. <laughs> 
That is not fair. This whole thing's not fair. Matter of fact, that's what the whole parable's told for. That God's just not fair. I'm going to make an announcement. He is not fair. I want to make an announcement. I am thrilled about it too. Whew, good gracious. But I want to point something out. And I know, this, I know this hacks people off in the current culture climate we're in right now, but I'm going to say it. Who is the only person in the universe that gets to decide what is right? And it's not me. And it's not you. The ruler of the universe gets to decide what is right. All right, I want you to watch what the universe, you, ruler of the universe says is right. Verse 32, it is right. If God says it's right, it's right. It is right that we should make merry and do what? That's why we're not reverent in our church services. Some people say you need to be reverent in church. The ruler of the universe said it's right to be glad, to make merry and be glad. Why should we be glad? Not just when we come to church. Why should I just be glad in life? Here it is. We should be glad because your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. The creator of the universe says this. Everybody should be celebrating because people that were far from me are back close to me again. That's right. That's what he calls right. All right. One of the greatest pictures in the Bible and uh, just a tremendous teaching truth. Real simply, number one, just a few things to learn from this. Number one, God likes people. You say, you brought us up here to tell us that today. <laughs> say, do you really think you need to tell us that God likes people? I really do. You say, don't you mean he loves them, Brother Brian? Yeah, that too. I think everybody knows God loves people because God so loved the world. But I want to make an announcement. He likes people too. Why do you think he made so many of us? God just likes people. And, and uh, that's the obvious. <clears throat> the Lord was not in his holy temple. Where was the Lord in this parable, in this passage? He was sitting down eating with common people. He said, was he preaching to them? No, he just likes people. He enjoys them. He enjoys being around them. And he enjoys fellowshipping with people. That's it's just good. That's the whole compassion thing I told you about. A religious spirit is angry with sinful people. If you've ever felt in your life like God is, God's mad at me, that was not the Holy Spirit. That was a religious spirit. This passage should tell you right here, God's not mad at anybody. Did you see how he handled the arrogant, evil, older brother? He wasn't even mad with him. He came out and tried to talk to him. The Bible said he came out and pleaded with him to do what? Get off your high horse and come in here, son. He was already working for him. He was already keeping the rules. He didn't plead with him to behave. He didn't plead with him to go start a church. He pleaded with him, would you come in here and celebrate with us? What's this passage about? This is a revelation of what God is like. He just likes people. He just, you ever met anybody like that? You ever met anybody just enjoys people? They love to be around them. They just, that's God. He just likes being around people. All right, number two, simply put, very simply put, <clears throat> God wants mercy. The God of this Bible desires mercy more than anything else. I want to teach you something. I want you to turn me to Matthew chapter uh, 9, and I want you to see one of the great teachings of the Bible in Matthew 9. Luke 15 is one of those great teachings. But in Matthew chapter 9, now, I want you to remember something. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus step down to this earth? He came to this earth to reveal the Father, to show us what the Creator's like. 
And Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And one of his followers at the time said, listen, even God's Jesus' followers think there's a difference between the Father and the Son. His own father said this, you show us the Father and we'll be happy. And he looked at him and he said, have I been with you this long and you don't know me yet? He said, if you've seen me, you've watched God walk on the earth. Dear ones, if you see Jesus, you've seen the Creator. Everything about Him. You've seen the beauty of God in Jesus who just loves people and loves to be around people and just enjoys people. He's one of, the, one of the strangest, maybe to me, the strangest passage in the Bible with the exception of the cross is John 13 where Jesus, who is God Almighty, revealing the Creator, gathered some friends around, His disciples' friends around. You know what kind of people these were? They were not polished people. They were like you and me. They struggled. You got rednecks in the bunch. They were just common sinful people. And he took off his jacket and got down and washed their dirty feet. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To reveal the Father. And say, so came to Simon. Simon said, that ain't happening. I can't take this. God Almighty ain't washing my feet. I understand how he felt. I mean, this, this is just... And, and of course, Jesus said to him, you need to let me do this. You don't understand why, but... I'll teach you why I'm doing this in a little bit. That's just amazing. The, desire, the greatest need of our lives is to get to know what God is really like. Since He created everything, rules everything, and we will spend eternity with Him. And let me tell you what, I'm just going to give it, can I, can I look down the road toward the end of the story real quick? If you ever get to know what He's like, you'll do what these people did. You will flock to Him. Evil people ran to Him. So should His children. I don't want to teach you something about mercy. Y'all know what mercy is. You know the difference between mercy and grace? The Bible said grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. And oftentimes in the Bible, it combines both of those under the word mercy. It means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to be good to you even though you don't deserve it. That's mercy. Got it? All right, watch this. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was walking. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Tell me about Matthew. No more hated man in their culture. Absolute evil man. He sees Matthew and he said to Matthew, follow me. So Matthew gets up and follows him. How many of you would call a child molester to be your disciple? The evilest people. So he calls him. And uh, so Jesus sat at the table in his house and many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now Jesus is eating at the Hell's Angels Lodge. He's eating at the Hell's Angels Clubhouse, except it's worse than that. Amazing where you find God hanging around. All right, guess what happens when you go to places like that? When the ministers, Pharisees, saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such evil people? They're bothered by the fact that God just wants to be around evil people. It just tore them up. <clears throat> so that's his disciples. All right, Jesus heard them. I mean, Jesus can hear. He said, don't you answer him. Let me answer him. And Jesus said this. He answered and said, verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. How many of you can agree with that? If I drive over to Alamance Regional, the hospital over here, and I go up to the emergency room, and they say, what's wrong with you? I say, nothing. I just came here. <laughs> I want to see a doctor. And they say, wow, well, nothing wrong with me. I just want to see a doctor. You know what they're going to tell me? This place ain't for healthy people. This is for sick people. Can I get a witness? We know that sick people go to the hospital. Healthy people don't. Amen. 
Why do we get so screwed up in our churches? Why do good people go to church? Why don't bad people come to church? Jesus said, I didn't come to call good people. I came to call bad people. If I'm not bad, then Jesus ain't for you. What's so hard about this? And Jesus said this, verse 13. Go and learn what this means. Time out. If God Almighty tells you, go learn something, guess what we need to do? We need to learn this. Jesus said, go learn this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Dear ones, if there's ever any, the greatest thing you can do in your life is learn that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. What is sacrifice? That's when you do something for him. What is mercy? That's when he does something for you. You know what God just said right there? I want you to learn something. What does I desire mean? What God wants? I don't want you doing stuff for me. I want to do something for you. I desire to be merciful to you more than you do something for me. Do you really think he needs me to do something for him? This just this statement right here stood everything upside down because they didn't understand who God was or why he came to earth. And he said, what y'all don't understand about me is I don't want these people sacrificing to me. I came to do something for them. I want to give them mercy more than sacrifice. All right, he told, what did he tell them to do? Go, let's finish it. Let's finish that verse right there. He said this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Dear one, if you're a fine person, God's not for you. He didn't call you. Who's the only people God calls? That's it. All right, now what did he tell them to do? He told them to go do what? Go learn about me. Go learn this. All right, let's, ask, let's do a public opinion poll here. How many of you think they learned it? How many of you think the ministers learned about God? Turn three pages to the right. Matthew chapter 12. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Let's see if they learned what he told them to learn. And dear ones, if God could speak to you right now, you know what he'd say? Go learn this. I desire mercy. I want to be good to people. I don't need your sacrifice. I came to help people. I came to be good to people. Let's see if they learned it. Here we are a few days later, verse 12, chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, 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 your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So Jesus and his guys are breaking the rules. Got it? They're hungry. They're walking through the field. And these are actually corn husks. They're, they're taking it. Take it they're chewing on it. And the Pharisee, the minister said, look, look, they're doing wrong. Here's my question. Where did they come from? Where, where were they at? I mean, do y'all remember Hee Haw? Do you remember them guys that jump up from behind the corn stalks? And that's all I can see here. Jesus had the roughest time with religious people, didn't he? And they said, look, 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 they're breaking the rules. Well, they had this rule and, and God did write the rule, honor the Sabbath day. So we turn that into a law that says you can't do nothing. He gave you a Sabbath so you could rest your body and not blow it up and rest your heart and not blow it up. The Sabbath was given to help people, not to bind them down. So they're hungry. They take the, they're taking the food. I busted. You're busted. And uh, now Jesus is in trouble because even God's breaking his own rules now, according to them. Did they learn what he said? Not a lick. Excuse I'm not a bit. Verse two, or verse three. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Bible what David did when he was hungry? Those with him, he entered the house of God, took the showbread. You know what he said? Y'all think this is bad. 
David got hungry, went in and stole a communion bread and ate it. Now, you know, they ain't nothing worse than stealing the communion bread when you're hungry. I'm with you. Don't y'all tell nobody I said this. this we, my wife teaches kindergarten at our school. And uh, she went to their little treat for the kids. Have these, you know what a juice box is? Children have these juice boxes. She went to get juice boxes for the kids. And somebody had taken a couple of them. So she didn't have enough for everybody in the room. So she went over in the communion there and stole the juice that we give. And gave, it's the same thing. She just went there and stole the juice and gave it to them. Don't tell anybody, though. I said, I'll replace the juice before we have communion again. Jesus said, you think it's bad that they're eating this corn on a Sunday? He said, David went and stole a communion bread. All right, watch what Jesus said here. See what he had to say with them. Verse 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What did he say? You didn't learn it, did you? You just don't learn about me, do you? You just don't get it, do you? If you had learned that I would rather be merciful to people than them making sacrifices to me, watch what he said. You would not have condemned the guiltless. You wouldn't be so hard on people if you knew what I was like. If you knew what I was like, you wouldn't be beating on people all the time. If you knew that I'm just trying to help people, I came to call people to myself and show them mercy, you wouldn't beat people up so bad. But they never learned it, did they? How do you know they never learned it until they were done? <clears throat> they nailed him to a cross for being merciful. They just never got it. And oftentimes we don't get it either. He just desires mercy. Here's the message. Demons God... He don't need me to do anything for him. Now, I serve him. I want to serve him. I get to serve him. But the bottom line is he created me to be good to me. God desires to show mercy. All right, one more and we're done. Let me point this out. Uh, and this is, this is really difficult for people too. But what do we learn in the parable of the prodigal son? What do we learn? God catches them first. He cleans them later. He catches them first. He cleans them later. Anybody ever been fishing? Sad for you if you had. All right. I love to fish. All right, let's, another public opinion poll. Catch them first or clean them first? What do y'all think? Do you know how dumb it looks to try to clean a fish before you catch him? <laughs> try it. It's just dumb. We catch them first, we clean them later. And let me tell you something. We don't clean them immediately. Like preachers want you to. I catch them, throw them in the bucket. I take pictures and show them off. I'll clean them later on that night. He said, what, what are you talking about? God embraced this man while he was still a sinner. He was still goofed up. He celebrated with him, and he hadn't straightened the boy out yet. He said, that's, just, that's not right. Well, then you're religious if that bothers you. You catch him. Now, my son, he, uh, we love to fish together some. And when he was a student at NC State, if I was fishing while he was in school, I loved to catch fish right when I knew he was in class. And I might take a picture of him and send it to him right when he's in class. You know, he's listening to Dr. Smell Fungus dribble on, and I'm out there fishing. And he might, if he could do it, text me back and say, that's good or whatever. He never texted me back and said, how come you had not cleaned him yet? We're just excited about catching him. We'll clean him later. Do you understand that? All right. Dear ones, God's not near as interested in making sure that you don't smoke as He is in getting you to turn your heart toward Him. If He can just get you into relationship with Him, He will clean you up down the road. You really don't need religious people beating on you. You just need to love God, get in relationship with Him. He'll do the cleaning later. Let me prove it to you. 
Do you remember back in that parable of the prodigal son? Now, this is, a str- this is weird right here, but it happened. Go back and read it if you want to again. All right, the Bible said the son decided to go home. He starts home. Did the Bible say that the father saw him? Did it say he ran to him? They did not meet on the porch. They did not meet in the yard. Where'd they meet? Down the road from the house. And it was either a long driveway or it was a road. And they met each other down that road. Got the picture? Here's the house, way out yonder. They meet right here. He kisses him. He's celebrating. All right, what does he do? Now, this is strange. He told a servant, apparently a servant saw him take off and ran behind him because he thought he was hurt or something. He tells that servant, go back to the house. Bring the best suit I got. Bring it out here. Put it on him out here. Don't y'all find that weird? Why didn't he just say, son, go in the house, get cleaned up. You know where my clothes are. I'll pick you something out and I'll see you in the den. Wouldn't that have made sense? Why did he make that boy stay out there and, and let's just wait out here, you and me, Till those clothes get back out here. I want you dressed up. Why do you do that? This is one of the greatest lessons in the Bible. There were people in that house. He was afraid his brother would be there. What did that boy look like when he got out of that pig pen? How many of you had pig slop all over him? He was nasty. How many of you know that your bad decisions can be showing on you? And the father said, we're not going to let anybody see you till I dress you up. Till I cover you with the best clothes I got. When we get you dressed up, then I'll take you back and let people see you. Dear ones, if you play games with him, you're going to have to bear your own load. But he who confesses his sin shall find mercy. If you just confess your sins to God, he'll cover them up and he won't let the world look at you and mock you. He'll cover them before other people. And this is the kindness of God to clean him up and bring him home and, and just take care of him. And so when the boy goes in, all they knew was, man, he sure does look good. They didn't see a thing of his past in there. Their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. This is the goodness of God. And it's just a portrait of his great kindness. In the churches, we do real good at building, organizing, putting structures together. We're still struggling with this thing about mercy above sacrifice. God wants to show people mercy. All right, bottom line, I'm done. Here it is. Luke chapter 15 did y'all notice three roads in there? Now remember, a parable is not just the story you see. There are stories in the story. There are stories inside there. Did y'all see three roads in there? Here's what's so amazing about this parable. Every human being that ever lived was in that parable. You're in there. And so where am I in there? Every person that lives, according to the Bible, is in that parable. And every person in this room and every person on this planet is on one of three roads. There's only three roads you can be on, dear ones. All right, you've got a road called uh, Rebellion. What's rebellion? What'd that boy say? I want to live independent. I want my independence. I don't want to be around the father. I don't want his rules. I don't want him telling me how to live. I want to live the way I want to live. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever said, I I want to do what I want to do? God bless you. You got the free right to do it. And that was one of the roads. That young man, the prodigal, the rebel, he just said, he didn't say, I want to smoke and cuss. He said, I want to get away from the father. I don't, want, I don't want the Father telling me what to do. Many people don't want God in their business. I don't want Him telling me what to do. Here, what's the problem? I never knew it's good to get away from God and do what you want to do. Would you agree? Y'all wouldn't agree with that? Well, you're wrong. It is good. Go back and read it. He had a great time. Didn't he? What does the Bible say about people who say, God is not going to tell me how to live. I'll do what I want to do. What does the Bible say about them? It says they're going to have a good time. 
I said, Brother Brian, don't tell us that. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> what is the exact word the Bible uses? If you tell God, you stay out of my face and stay out of my business, I'll live like I want to. What does the Bible say is coming your way? Hebrews, what does it say? Pleasure. You can have pleasure. Did he not have pleasure? How many of you know a 22-year-old boy and all them hookers, there's pleasure in there? Listen, I'm not scared to tell you what the Bible says. He had a blast, didn't he? You said, Brother Brian, you're holding something back on us, aren't you? I sure am. You want me to finish the rest of the verse? The pleasures of sin for a season, for a little while. What was the end result? You can run from God if you want to. You can live any way you want to. You can have a great time. But there's going to come a day the same thing that happened to him is going to happen to you. It's going to run out. And you're going to say, I thought this was what I wanted and things ain't working out like I thought they should. The road to rebellion always leads to ruin eventually. You say, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm making money. Everybody loves me. Just hang on, Doc. Just hang on. I would encourage you to think real hard about this. What's the other road in there? There's three roads in there. One's the road to rebellion where I'm going to do whatever I want to do. What's the third, the other road in there? It's a road called religion. You can be religious and you can be mad about sinners and you can keep all the rules you want to keep and you can serve and you can grouch and you can live a goatless life. That's the best I can do. I'm sorry. And you can just be miserable. That's how you know people are religious. They're miserable. But do me a favor. Do it somewhere else besides around me. Jesus fought religious people all his life. I have too, and I'm tired of it. What's the third road? I am going home. It's the road to relationship. And that boy, after running out, he finally said, I'm just going home. Was he surprised at what he got when he turned his heart toward home? He was shocked. There was just three roads. You're either going to live in rebellion, religion, or relationship with the Father. That's the only three things you can do in life. It doesn't matter whether you're a truck driver, a missionary, a, a boat builder. I don't care what you are, but you're either, in, you're either going to be in rebellion and do what you want to do. You're going to be religious and waste your life, or you're going to get in relationship with the Father. And you're going to live in relationship with Him. Period. End of life story. That's, that's the whole message right there. Did either one of these boys, the rebel or the religious man, neither one of them were doing what God wanted, were they? What's the only thing the father wanted? I just want you to come in here and be in a relationship with me. What's every father want? He wants relationship. Right, let me ask you a question. Let me point out something. Oh, my God, I'm sorry, I've already quit. I'm sorry, I told you that was the last thing. Can I do one more last thing? I think you owe me some anyway. Why did Jesus say that he was a father? Do you notice he kept talking about the Father? Here's the revelation. The Father is a Father. You've got to be careful with that word Father today, don't you? I've talked to a lot of young girls, some older girls, and I've talked to them. I said, well, let's pray. Let's just say this. Say, dear Father. She said, I ain't saying the word Father. Well, I know where that comes from. They had a bad father. There are fathers that abuse their daughters. There are fathers that are awful. There are fathers that are cold. There are fathers that love money more than they love their families. But I'm going to tell you something. There's some good fathers out there. Can I get a witness to say some good fathers out there? There are fathers that love their families, sacrifice for their families, love their children. They live in balance. Their hearts are tender toward their children. They care about their kids. And if you, even if you didn't have a good father, surely you've seen one somewhere. 
What do you think this is all? Have you ever seen a good father? Have you ever seen just a really good father? And maybe you wished you had one like that. I've had no few young ladies say to me, you're going to be my father because I never had the kind of dad you'd be. All right, listen to this. Where do you think that good father, a man that's a good father, where do you think he gets it from? Let us make man in our image. If you've ever seen a good father, you were looking at a walking picture of the living God who loves his kids. He don't let them get away with crap. But he laid down his life for those kids and he loves to be around them. That is why the Bible says a man had sons as a good father. I'm going to leave you with a pardon verse. You need to memorize this verse. I'm even memorizing the Bible is a good thing. Okay, if you didn't know, it's a good thing. Get this picture right here. Psalm 103, verse 13 to 14 says this. As a good father has a tender heart toward his children, so does God the Father have toward those who, does anybody know it, are perfect? Come to him. Honor him. You don't have to be perfect for God to have a tender heart toward you. You just have to come to him. And then let me throw in the next part right here too. He remembers our frame. He understands that we struggle. I maybe love to have somebody understand your struggles sometimes. A father understands a child's struggle. He's a good father. I think this is the foundational platform, the platform passage of the Bible. I don't think you can do anything in life till you get this one down pat first. Till you understand this is the heart of God. Now, what's the obvious conclusion? Why is this in the Bible? Why are we talking about this today? Because there's somebody sitting in this room who's running. There's somebody watching me today who is running. And uh, let me tell you where you're at and you're running. Listen to me. You might be at the point where it's just, golly, this is great. I'm having the best time doing anything I want to do. I'm just, I'm doing my thing and I'm having the best time. Might not be time for me and you to talk yet then. Or you might be at the point where you're starting that slow downward spiral where you're thinking, man, the glitter's starting to wear off this thing. But I'm still, I'm my own man. Good luck with that, Doc. Or maybe you're at the point where you're going, this ain't the way it was supposed to have been. Then that road always goes over the waterfall. Always. Always. You know what you need to do? Won't you do what he did and say, I'm going to turn around and get on another road. I'm going home to God. And I'm going to say to him, I've sinned and I want to be your son and you the boss now. If he can't do you better than you do you, then you keep doing you. Let me talk to somebody else on another road. You might be on a religious road today and you just spend all your time mad because them sinners. Would you get off of it? Let me make an announcement. I love you too. And the father came out and pleaded with him. I'm pleading with you. Would you humble yourself? Get off of it. Let God be the judge and you just help people. Show them mercy. Show people some compassion and kindness and see if we can't have some fruit in this world instead of burning everything up. And if you can't change these four major churches right downtown, you're welcome to any one of them. Bless your heart. And if you're on the road headed toward the Father, you stay right where you're at. It can't get nothing but better. Father, I want to praise you and thank you. You're, just, you're so good. I don't know why we complicate it. The message is so simple. You can run from him and it's going to run out one day. 
You can be religious and be ridiculous. Or you can just come to the Father and find acceptance and mercy and blessing. I want to praise you and thank you. Your word tells me that you desire mercy and not sacrifice. You just want people to say the three words that that boy said, I have sinned, and turn around and come home. I want to thank you for what you've done for people. And I want to praise you and thank you. Father, I still struggle with that first verse. Why the sinners were so attracted to you. I think they still are. They just need to see you. I, I ask you in Jesus' name, be attractive to people. Let people see the beauty of Christ and know, I, I got to hear what this man's got to say. I trust you for that. I give you all the praise and glory. Dear Jesus, I ask you to walk around this room now by your spirit. And people that are in this room, they got the crowd this big, they got to be somebody on the wrong road somewhere. And all you want people to do is just get on the right road, say, I have sinned and come home. So I pray for those who are on the road of rebellion. Lord Jesus, if they're still in the good part where it's fun and everything's rocking and rolling, I just want to pray and ask you to hurry it up. Just get them to the place where it crashes because it's going to. But remind them of this message one day. Might be six months down the road, two years down the road. Remind them that they heard a country preacher say, get up and come home. I trust you for that. And if they're in the place where they're broken now, I just want you to open your arms wide and say, won't you just come now? Father, your word said you went out and pleaded with the religious to change their attitude and just come in and celebrate with you. I pray you draw religious people to you today. I don't care what they are. If they're not with you, draw them to yourself. I trust you for that. Listen, he hears my prayers and I believe he's going to answer it right now. If you're sitting in this room or watching online, if you're running or you're religious and you're not headed toward Jesus, let's pray right now, seated where you're at. Pray this with your heart and mean it. Let's go home. Say, dear Jesus, you are the son of God and you loved me and you died for me and I'm coming home. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I have sinned and I need help. And uh, you didn't come to call the righteous, you came to call sinners and I'm one of them. But I come to you, dear Jesus. I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to take me. I ask you to embrace me. I ask you to do what you did with that boy and cover up the garbage. Get rid of it. Cleanse me. Dress me up real nice, Lord Jesus. Take me into your family and let's celebrate. I give my life to you. I'm going to follow you. I'll live under your rules because I've seen what I can do for me. And I've seen what religion's doing to me and other people. I come to you. From this day forward, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're the love of my life forever. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for calling me today. Coming home. Strong name of Jesus, I pray this prayer. If you prayed that minute, raise your hand real high where I can see it. Put it up real high. Thank you. Put those down. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Just You're the most attractive person in the world. If people saw you, they would run to you. Thank you that you're still opening hearts to see. I give you all the praise and glory. Let Jesus be glorified in our lives forevermore. And we praise you and thank you for your kindness. Precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.